again. It's so good to be here. I, as usual, am very excited just to open God's Word with you, to hear what God has for us. Um, as, as, we, as you already know, we're, we're continuing through the book of Colossians, so if you want to be sort of getting there in your Bibles. Uh, but again, I just want to reiterate what we're doing here. Uh, we're, we're not just opening God's Word because it's, it's fun and neat to see what's here. We, we open God's Word with expectation, right? That God will use His Word. He, he says that His Word is living and active. Is it living and active in your life? And so I'm going to open, open, open us up with a word of prayer. And as I pray, pray for yourself. Ask that God would, would change your heart through this. Ask that God would change the person sitting next to you, the, the other people in this room, through this. Ex- expect that God will do amazing things. Let's pray. Father God, you have been so kind to us as to reveal yourself through your word, Lord. You have shown us what is good. You have shown us what will bring us true and abundant life. Lord, would you help us to listen to it today, God? Would you uh, transform us through your word? God, we trust that you can do this, Lord. Help me to preach your word rightly and accurately and, and to get out of the way so that your spirit can work. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. That's chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, if you want to turn there or follow, follow along in your bulletin as well. And I actually preached this same text a, a little over a month ago, um, but we didn't really get to dig as deep as I wanted to. Um, last time we sort of got to do a flyover, uh, but, but hopefully today we'll get to turn over a few more stones, and hopefully that will be practical and helpful for you. So let's read, read this passage. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. <clears throat> Paul says, And so from the day we heard, that's, that they heard of their salvation, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's God's word. That's what we're going to look at today. And if you recall, I know it was a while back, uh, we did sort of a flyover of what Paul was, was praying for for this church. What is it that he wanted for them? So in that flyover, we saw a few things. We saw that Paul was praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they would be filled, that's completely, you know, stuffed full, filled up to the brim, no more room, saturated with the will of God, the knowledge of the will of God. And not only were they to have knowledge, but this was epignosis. This was a super knowledge, a deep, accurate knowledge of God. And that's what Paul prayed for, that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. This was their greatest need, the first thing he prays for, for them. 
Now, this is a big deal because he, he wanted these uh, awesome results as well, um, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it says there, and, and that they would bear fruit in every good work, that they would increase in the knowledge of God. So basically, if they were filled with the knowledge of God's will, their actions would be changed. They would bring life and nourishment for others, and they would grow in an experiential, relational knowledge of God. So that's what we saw last week. And, and in addition, we saw that they would do this by God's power, for God's glory, and it would bring them their greatest joy. That, that's what we saw, not last week, but a, a month ago or so when I uh, preached this. That's the overview. If you will grow in the knowledge, be filled with the knowledge of God's will, these, these results will happen. But that may have left you with some questions. I know it left me with a lot of things I wanted to say, but sadly time runs out and uh, I can't uh, talk about everything. But I didn't think it was overly helpful for me to say, you need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will without also equipping you to know and be filled with the knowledge of God's will. So that's what I'm hoping to do today. How do I obtain the knowledge of God's will? In addition, once I have that knowledge of God's will— how do I rightly obey his will? Now, that may seem like a strange question, but we'll, we'll look at it more later. How do I rightly obey God's will once I am filled with the knowledge of it? So that's what we'll be looking at today as we dig a little deeper. And just as an aside, I want to remind you, this is, um, this is a very big deal to have a knowledge and an obedience of God's will. You just, again, think that where things went wrong in this world was when God told his will to Adam and Eve, <laughs> follow me, uh, be with me. You can eat of any, any fruit of the garden, but don't eat of this. My will is that you don't eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And then they went against God's will. Did not go real well for us, for the human race, for all creation. Everything was broken because God's will was not known in a full, deep way. And God's will was not obeyed. So this is a very big deal that we have, are filled with the knowledge of God's will and that we obey it. So, how do I know God's will for my life? That's in your notes there, the first, I don't know, little stars thing. How do I know God's will for my life? So we've seen the good results. We've seen the, the warning that I just told you. Uh, but the good results of that, it will change our life. It'll be, you know, fruitful for others. It'll help us grow in a knowledge of God. But how do I obtain that knowledge of God? So again, I'm drawing there from verse 9, uh, again, where Paul says, And so from the day we heard of your salvation, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So how do I know God's will for my life? And I emphasize for my life there because that is often the question that people ask. Um, being in ministry for some time, I get this question a lot. How, how do I know God's will for my life? What am I supposed to do? You know, and I just want to point out something. We may be asking the wrong question. At, at the very least, we are starting with the wrong question. What's God's will for my life? What, what's God want me? We're starting thinking about me. What, what, what do I need to do? And that's not where we need to start. So there's something I want to tell you about. I kind of call it the kingdom principle. And Jesus says in, in Matthew, uh, I think 6.33, is it 5.30? Anyway, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. 
All these things will be added to you. If you seek his kingdom um, his, and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. In context, that is actually talking about not being anxious about your life. You know, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on, because God will take care of you as long as you're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, so that's in context. But I think the principle applies to even knowing God's will for my life. As long as I am seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, it'll all be added to me as well. God will make things right. And so that's kind of the principle that this sermon is going by, at least this first part. And so I'll be explaining that through these next three points. What does it look like to follow this kingdom principle that if I seek first the kingdom, that I will have the knowledge for my life that I actually need? So, number one. Here is where we need to start. Instead of saying, what do I need for my life? What's God's will for my life? I need to first seek God's general will. It's number one. Seek God's general will. This is what I need to do first. Now, I'm, I'm kind of making up these uh, titles, his general will. So don't get too hung up on them. Don't go looking for them in Webster's Dictionary because I, I just kind of antagon it. And what I mean here is, what was God's general will at creation? God created something rather than nothing. What was his purpose behind that? Some people call it the creation mandate. Why would God create? He had a will behind that, and I need to know that. So it only makes sense, okay, that I wouldn't know something so precise as my specific calling, God's specific particular will for my life, unless I know his general will. What is his overarching will for all things, all creation? And so that's where we need to start. What is God's general will when he created the earth? I just want to give you a few things. I can't go too deep into these, but scripture makes it very clear that God desires to make himself known. God desires to make himself known, to reveal himself. Uh, you remember in, in Romans chapter 1 and also in Psalm 19, it, it tells us that God is seen in creation. So God created something, and God is seen in creation. He reveals himself in creation. In addition, the Bible tells us that God made man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, um, God made man. That's interesting. God wanted to reveal himself through men. Obviously, the fall kind of screwed up some of the way we, we image forth God, but it's still there. God wanted to show himself. God also gave us scriptures because he wanted people to know him. He wanted to reveal himself. He gave scriptures through the, the prophets, through the apostles, through the inspired writers. And I would be remiss if I left this out. God sent his very son <laughs> into this world to reveal himself as Jesus Christ. God wants to reveal himself to people. God wants to make himself known. Now, so that's, that's one part, but not only that, God also desires that when he reveals himself, that people see him as glorious. It's not just enough to see God. So Psalm 19, for example, it doesn't just say that we see God in creation. It says that the, I'm sorry, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens don't just declare that, declare that there is a God. It declares the glory of God. And that's how God wants to reveal himself, not only to make himself known, but to show himself as glorious and beautiful and, and, and just everything that he is through what he created. Now, we know 
that even though he created for these purposes, we did not obey his will. We didn't honor him as God. We refused to recognize his glory, refused even to enjoy him above all else. God warned Adam and Eve, if, if you do this, in the day that you do this, you will surely die, both, both uh, spiritually and physically one day. They were warned, but they rebelled anyway. But the fact is, to make a long story short, even there in Genesis, Genesis 3.15, God made a promise. God made a way of salvation. If you will still trust me, humanity, if you will still trust me, I will bring you a Savior. He will crush the head of the serpent. And now we, um, in New Testament days, we not only look forward to the Savior, we look back to the Savior who has already come, lived, died, and risen from the grave, and we say, that's my Savior. And that's what God has given us. He's given us a way of salvation. And this next overarching general will of God is that God desires that all would come to salvation, that none would perish. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, and he's talking about he's not slow to bring judgment, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 1 Timothy 2.4 God, I threw that in, desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God not only made himself known, revealed himself, and wants people to see his glory, he wants to save those people who rebelled against that good plan. That is God's general will. Now, I'm going to go ahead and throw an application in here, because if we don't make it to this point of God's will, there's no reason to go any further. Why should we expect that God will lead us and guide us if we won't even follow his general will? So what does that look like for us? I think for us, what we need to do is we need to say, yes, God, I see you. I see that you revealed yourself. I see that you are good, that you are glorious, that you are God of all things, and I see that I have sinned against you. I have treated you as though you were not God. I have acted as though I am God, but I ask that you would save me on the basis of what Jesus has done on the cross for my sins. Would you save me? Would you reunite me with your will, Lord? I, I really, I cannot stress the importance of how, how much we need to at least get this part right that we fall into God's general will, that we not be so out of line with the way God created the universe. See that God is God. See that he is glorious and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. We must do this. But if you've done that, if you've either done that today or in the past, you can now move to number two, the next step, a little more narrow. Number two, seek God's specific will. This is God's uh, revealed will, basically what he has specifically told us in the Bible that he desires. This is mainly, honestly, for believers, for Christians. Now, God really does want everyone to obey his specific will, but the fact is, only Christians, only those who have the Holy Spirit, who have trusted in Jesus, have, have the power to perceive rightly his will, and to obey his will, even this revealed will. But 
God has shown us in his word literally hundreds and hundreds of statements, encouragements, principles, warnings, and just straight out commands of what his will is. God has made it very clear to us what he wants us to do. So let me just give you an example of what this should look like. Not just an example, a bunch of examples. If I'm wondering, should I cheat on my taxes? Is that something that I should do? Is that God's will for my life? We can very quickly see from the Bible, I should not steal and I should not lie. The the Bible clearly tells us that is not what God would have us do. And so there's no no problem here. Okay, I, I can't cheat on my taxes. Okay. Should I be physically intimate with my my girlfriend or my boyfriend? We're not married yet, but we really love each other. Won't God understand that? God has made it very clear in the Bible that physical intimacy is for marriage only. Should I spend all my time doing frivolous things? Maybe I don't have much responsibility yet. Maybe I've had my responsibility and retired. Should I twiddle my thumbs um, till the day that I die? Is that what God would have me do? The Bible makes it very clear to make the most of the time because the days are evil. God has made it very clear what we should not do. Now, in addition to that, the Bible tells us what we should do. There are some things that the Bible tells us. So how about this? Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I can do that. That's good. What about if I don't like them? <laughs> what if they step on my toes and, you know, get in my hair and I don't, I don't like it, you know? Matthew five forty four. love your enemies. These are things we are supposed to do. This isn't, uh, I'll take it or leave it. This is love your neighbor. And if your neighbor is a jerk or your friend at church, not your friend, the other person at church is a jerk, you love your enemy. Jesus, uh, or actually Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we really shouldn't be grumpy. He says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. I know things are hard, but we are to trust God and give thanks. Anything different is, is sin. How about this? Go and make disciples. This is a command. This is not, a, this is again, this is God's will, very clear, specific for all people, especially all believers. Go and make disciples. You say, well, isn't that just people that go, that go and do missions? You know, we're going to have a missions conference. Isn't that for those people? Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's, that's their hometown. Judea, that's out a little bit further. So that's like reaching maybe to the end of Chattanooga or Cleveland, right? And then uh, it's Samaria, that's all Tennessee and Georgia, and to the ends of the earth. This, is, this counts you too. Go and make disciples. You will be my witnesses. We have been commanded to do these things. God has really simplified most of our lives by, by giving us his general will, and by giving us these specific commands. I think that knowing God's will can be untangled most of the time by comparing these things. Does this line up with God's general will? Will will this decision, will this way of going bring God glory? Will it make him known? Will people see him as glorious? And will people trust in Jesus as their savior because of this decision? Okay, if I I think, okay, that's possible. Now, second, what has God said about it in his specific will? Is there something that I should do that by making this decision, I won't be able to do that anymore? 
If I spend all my money getting this thing, I won't be able to give. I won't be able to support. I won't be able to be hospitable. Well, maybe I shouldn't. Um, or maybe there's something that it would tempt me to do if I, if I did this thing. It, it just helps us make a lot of our decisions a lot less complicated. What's God's will for my life? What's God's will is usually all we have to ask. What's your general will, God? And what are your specific commands and encouragements that you've given us in your word? Most of the time, most of the time, our questions are answered by those two categories of God's general will and his specific will, and he leads us and guides us through those. But I do understand uh, that from time to time, I've certainly had them, there are things that aren't in the Bible, you know, that, that are more difficult. Okay, where should I go to college? Uh, who should I marry? What job should I take? I know it's in here somewhere. You know, God's supposed to guide me. Sometimes it's not in God's word. I understand that. And so that is when we finally come to number three, seek God's specific will for you. If you, you've exhausted um, searching God's general will, you've exhausted seeking a specific will, now you, uh, you come to God's specific will for you. This is uh, narrowed all the way down. And Christians, I, I really wish I could go far into this of the things I've seen and heard. Christians sometimes do crazy things trying to know the will of God, and they are so far from biblical. Um, but let's not worry about that too much. I don't want to show you the false dollar. Let's just look at the real one. Um, let's look at some biblical ways that God has given us. And I didn't put these in your notes, uh, but I've got seven ways that, that we follow God's specific will or know God's specific will. First, we pray for God to give us wisdom. Start with prayer. If you haven't prayed yet, you've missed the boat. I don't know how many people have seriously been like, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I just say, have you prayed about it? And they're like, hmm, no, I haven't yet. You, you just why would you expect it? Uh, God says, and I love this, um, James says in, in James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. This is great, and he, and he gives it. He doesn't despise us for needing his wisdom. In fact, I think it is a good thing to humble ourselves before God and to say, God, I don't know. I don't have the wisdom for what I should do. I'm asking you to give me the wisdom. This is good. Pray for God to give you the wisdom. Second, have an attitude of surrender to God's will, not of suggestion. So we come into it oftentimes saying, hey God, this is what I'm going to do. Okay, I'm going to throw up a prayer for you to bless it, stamp it on my heart that, you know, that I'm doing the right thing. That's, that's not how it's supposed to be. Listen to this in, in Romans uh, 12. <clears throat> he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's a submitted sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then it goes on to say, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, the will, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And in that passage, it tells you, you've got to submit yourself as a living sacrifice. Whatever you want, God, I'm going to do it. You just tell me I'm submitting to your will. I realize that we might have desires and we might say, God, this is what I want. But I submit myself to whatever you want. Not my will, but your will be done. Come with an attitude of surrender. Third, I would say to continue reading God's word. Don't neglect it. Continue reading God's word. Even if you know for sure that your job or your college or whatever is not in the Bible, 
I have been amazed at the ways God has led me, that he has impressed upon me what I'm supposed to do and just confirmed it over and over as I continue reading his word and praying. Uh, Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Those aren't just fun words or a cool little phrase. It really does guide us. Continue reading, and God, through his spirit, might impress you. Fourth, think about your spiritual giftings and natural abilities. Should I do this? I don't know. Are you gifted to to go that direction? Uh, Should I do this? I don't know. Do you have the ability to do that? Sometimes God, God shows us through the ways he's gifted us and the natural abilities he's given us. Fifth, think through your circumstances. Think through your circumstances. Again, lots of times God guides us into circumstances to show us what we should do. I'm not saying every time there's an open door we should walk through it, and I'm not even saying that every time a door is closed we shouldn't kick that sucker down by God's grace because sometimes we have to work, right? But what I am saying is God wants us to be logical. God, God doesn't want us uh, to be foolish. He wants us to be courageous, yes, but not foolish. So, should I just up and quit my job and, and uh, you know, just figure things out? Well, if you've got a family to provide for, you know, meals you need to put on the table. I've got uh, my wife and a little girl. Me to just quit at work right now would not be a smart thing. Oh, but I'm being courageous for God. No. God, God wants you to think through your circumstances and think through, well, okay, well, if you were to quit your job, what's going to happen? What are you going to do? How are you going to do the things that God has commanded you to do, such as provide for your family? So we look at our circumstances. Is this something God is leading me to? Sixth, talk to wise counsel. <laughs> um, our church is uh, more for just, than that, more for just, I don't know, I can't think. We don't just look at each other. We, we talk to each other. We get wise counsel from one another. We pray for one another. I've, I've had um, a blessed thing of just so many wise counselors in my life throughout the years that have either help me dig out of some of the mistakes I've made or keep me from those in the first place. And so wise counsel is a wonderful thing. Seventh is our last one. We've done all these things, and we finally need to trust that God is in control. Trust that God's in control. What I mean by that is, eventually, we just have to move and make a decision. You know, it may not be perfectly clear, but we have to trust that God is not going to let us just make shipwreck of our life as we are seeking his will, right? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. We're trying. God's not going to just leave us. Again, that's just the kingdom principle. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. God is in control. You know, so for things such as leaving the church that I've been at for all these years and had employed me and trained me up, should I step out and come to Ringgold? You know, I I didn't get a message in the sky. I really did not. (laughs) I wish I had, maybe. Um, But in the end, I just had to trust, man, this is what God's leading us to do. It sure seems like it. There's no permanent message. God hasn't, you know, written me some guarantee and locked it in a safe but I'm going to trust that he's leading. And, and God did give us a lot of confirmations. I'm not saying that. But eventually, you just have to trust that God will, will lead you. We don't have to be so anxious. We don't have to be frozen in fear so that we're inactive and, and, and not useful for God. We can trust he's in control. So we've seen these things. We see God's general will. We see God's uh, specific will that he's written in Scripture. Then we've seen uh, some things we should do to find God's specific will for our lives at this moment in time. So we might know God's will, but how do I then obey it? 
How do I obey God's will? That's the next uh, question in your notes there. How do I obey God's will for my life? How do I obey God's will for my life? I, I understand that that's a weird question um, to ask, but I hope that you'll, you'll be with me. I don't know how many commands of God I have known, how much of his will I have known, and said, yeah, but I don't like it and have not done it sometimes in my past, <laughs> and, and, and even today. I struggle with that. Even if I know God's will, yep, but I like this better, and so I, I disobey. There's something missing there in this obedience. Sometimes I really have decided I'm going to obey, and I start obeying, but it lasts not even as long as a New Year's resolution. You know, a week later, I'm back into uh, my will instead of God's will. I'm not obeying anymore. I need something to help me persevere. Or sometimes, okay, I'm really going to obey, and I'm, I'm obeying, but then all of a sudden these temptations arise that I didn't even see coming, that, that draw me off on these paths. I'm uh, reading Pilgrim's Progress right now uh, with Tenora. She loves it. I don't know. She's three months old, so she doesn't probably get everything, you know, all the biblical references. Uh, but as Pilgrim is walking along this path, all these people keep coming up and drawing him away. He sees these other paths. Why does that happen? How can I obey? How can I make it to the celestial city as Pilgrim is trying to do? So we see this in verses 10 through, four, uh, yeah, 10 through 14. Paul says that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You say, but Jeff, you just gave me a list, a way of knowing God's will. I hate to tell you this, and I just kind of did. Knowing God's will is not enough. She might say, but Jeff, yes, I, I really want to, and I'll search out God's will. I'll find all the commands. I'll make a list of do's and don'ts. Won't that be enough for me to obey God? No, it will not. Let me just show you from Colossians. We'll get here later, but listen to Colossians 2, 20 through 23. If you want to turn there with me, you can. Colossians 2, 20 through 23. It talks about this. It says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world... Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And then I, skipping on in verse 22, according to human precepts and teachings. All these regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You can make regulations, you can write them all down, you can do all these things, but they will not make you truly obedient from the heart. That's what it's saying there. And so when we come to the Bible, when we read the Bible, we need to be doing more than looking for, for rules that we must follow, or regulations, or even things that we should do. A list won't be enough. So what do we need to obey? Number one, uh, under that heading, is we need to be transformed by focusing on Christ. 
We need to be transformed by focusing on Christ. We wanted to know God's will, so we needed to be informed. Now we need to be transformed. How? We do that by focusing on Christ. This is how we get to the heart of obedience. In verse 10 there, Paul said that we need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, uh, bearing fruit in every good work. We, we need to do these things, but the problem is we can't do this without God's power. Without me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. That's why in verse 11 it says right there that we will do these things being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So how do, how do I get strengthened though? Again, we're being vague. I, I, we can't do that. How do we get this power? How do we get this desire to obey? How do we love good and hate evil? How do we put God above our own comforts and our own desires? We're going to have to look at Christ to have this type of heart change. We need to focus on Christ. I see this in, in many texts. Uh, one I'll give you is 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. How do we get transformed? That This transformation we need to obey? We behold the glory of the Lord. As a matter of fact, this idea is the entire uh, idea of the rest of the book of Colossians. This is what we are going to see in Colossians. The very next thing we come to is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the head of the church. This is what we are going to look at in Colossians, is, is Jesus, because he is what we need. We need to see his beautiful uh, high status. We need to see his perfections. We need to see his sacrifice. We need to see Jesus. You know, sometimes even as I'm reading the Gospels, I miss out on the beauty of who Jesus is because I'm just, just reading. I'm just reading along for the stories. I need to see. I need to ask God to help me. Help me to see the beauty of Jesus. That's what we need to look for when we read the Bible. That's what we need to hear when we listen to sermons we need to hear about Jesus. He is the only one who will change us. His life, his sacrifice, his person, his love, those things will change us. Those things will make us obedient from the heart. But you might say, where do I even start with this obedience? You know, where do, how do I start breaking from these past habits? How do I start doing these new difficult things? And that's number two in your notes. Be active by focusing on Christ. Be active by focusing on Christ. I know that I'm splitting hairs here, but I want to tell you, there is such a thing as, as looking at the Bible so much and, and doing nothing about it. There, there's this, yes, we need our minds transformed, but at some point, we need that transformation to turn into action, don't we? We need to step out the door and do what we're supposed to do. We need to stop doing what we know we should not do. And we do that by focusing on Christ. I think Paul kind of even shows us that in this um, final part of, of Colossians uh, that we're going through, 12 through 14. He says, After they do these things, they will be giving thanks to the Father who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. So how, how were they qualified? On what basis were they qualified for that inheritance? On the basis of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. 
That is what brought them in. And then it says there, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So whose kingdom do we get to be a part of? We get to be a part of the kingdom of King Jesus. That's where we'll have this fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, is with Jesus. So now we should be staring at, focusing on, trying to know Jesus. And then it says there, in, in whom, talking about the beloved Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus bought and paid for. He didn't just say you're forgiven. He bought and paid for your forgiveness. This is what, what Paul wants them to see, this, this thanksgiving. So this same Jesus that transforms our mind by looking at him makes us active, intentional obedience. So what do we do with that? We see that God doesn't want us to, to only know his will, but that we can know his will, and that it's really quite simple, seeing what he wants for the world, seeing what he's told us in Scripture. Occasionally we have to go through this uh, uh, process to know his will. But then it comes down to, am I going to obey? Now, I'll start at the beginning. Um, some of you have not made it past that first level of God's general will. God wants you to see his glory. God wants you to see uh, that, that he, he loves you and wants you to be saved, and he has given you that way through Jesus. And you've said, mm, that's your will, but it's not mine. I'm begging you. Today can be the day that you fall in line with the God of the universe and his will. You can do that today. Others of you have done that. You say, yes, I've trusted in Jesus, but you haven't taken it much farther. You know, you, you know in your heart that maybe you've added a bunch of do's and don'ts. Okay, I don't swear, I don't cheat, you know, I, I don't do these things, but that's as far as it's gone. You haven't had that true heart transformation. You haven't seen this, this obedience that God wants you to walk in. Look to Jesus. Look to his commands. They are good. See how great he is, and let that fuel the change in action in your life. And some of you may have been fueled by Jesus. You know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about the beauty, the power, the majesty, the glory of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. But sometimes we're like uh, a car at a gas station with the nozzle just stuck in there overflowing with fuel because we don't go anywhere. We don't do anything. If God has filled you up, it's for a reason. He wants to use you. He wants to do amazing things through you. Are you going to do that today? Are you going to obey? Are you going to look at Jesus, see how great he is, all that he has done for you, and then go act on that? Are you going to share it with others? Are you going to show supernatural love that loves enemies, that blesses those who persecute them? Is, is that going to be your life? Is God's glory going to be made known through you? Are people going to reach salvation through you? Look to Jesus and act on the beauty of what he's done. This is what we do. This is what Christians do. Uh, last week was the, the path of the gospel. This is uh, the path of God's gospel. This week is the path of God's people. This is the path that we must be on. We seek God's will. And we look to Jesus to give us that strength for obedience. And then we obey. And that's how we get the, this fruit. We're changed. We walk in a manner worthy. We bear fruit in every good work, and we increase in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. That's what we get. Obey him today. Do it for his glory and for your joy. I, let's just go ahead and pray.
Father God, if we are not actively and intentionally obedient to your word, we do not yet see your full glory. If we are not willing to get uncomfortable to obey you, we don't know the joy that you have for us. God, we might know it in our heads, but we need to know it in our hearts, Lord. We need you to push us. God, push us forward that we can be lights in this dark world. God, if anyone in this room does not know you, has not trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God, would you give them the strength to do that now, God? Let them want you. Let them want the salvation that you offer them so freely. God, and the rest of us, let us see Jesus. Let us see your good and perfect plan and fall in line with your will, Lord, and obey it. God, we expect that our lives will be different when we walk out of here today because of you teaching us about your will and about your obedience found in Christ Jesus. We expect that, God. So now let us walk in it. I pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.